This seminar, entitled Prayerful Mission, was recorded at the 2019 Pioneer Conference in Malaga. The speaker is Daniel Goodman. Okay, folks, I think we'll get started if that's all right. Um, great. Well, there's, there's not that many of us. I think we could probably just quickly go around and put your hand up and tell us who you are and, and uh, where, you, where you are and why you're here. Is that all right? And if you're not willing to do that, you can just say pass. Okay? <laughs> Paul, who, who are you? Where are you? And, and why are you here? Mm. <coughs> I'm Chris, I'm from The Hague, and I'm here to learn how we can grow in corporate prayer. Mm. Great. Chris? I'm Chris from Cambridge, and I'm here to learn and network how I can use the gifts in business to help church pastors. Mm. Brilliant. Uh, I'm Malcolm, I'm from here in Malaga, and I'm just learning how to do, do church in a different context. Mm. What church are you from in the UK? Uh, let's see, up Cambridge, yes. Oh, yeah, so you're from Cambridge. Yeah. And Chris, you're from Cambridge. Yeah. And Paul, you're from Cambridge. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm also from Cambridge. <laughs> How about on the back row? Yeah, my name is uh, Cornelia. I'm from the Netherlands, uh, Utrecht. And I am um, Mm. Great. Wonderful. Batista. <laughs> I'm, I'm Arion from Utrecht, uh, from Christ Church, Church in Utrecht. And we are to the came to the conference because we are in a transition phase <laughs> and, and currently we are exploring the possibilities of helping one year another church in Naples. Everywhere, brilliant. Great, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Alice from Hastings, Southeast England. Um, we work with a group of church pastors at Scott Frank. Any idea where? We can. No what, what's said in this room stays in this room. <laughs> yeah. no, to us, no, we feel it's a fraud, but I, I don't know why or how, other than I guess we're seeking the best. Yeah. Brilliant. Great, thanks, Alex. Sonia. Well, I think so. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm Sonia. I'm from England. I've lived in Serbia for 20 years. And we, um, oh, I love the community side here. I love all kinds. Mm. I love living in Nice mm. and planting churches. And um, yeah, I want to pray more. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'm Linda, and I'm from Welcoming Church there in Norfolk, and I'm basically here just to listen and uh, try and learn as much as I can. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'm Rachel, I'm from Cambridge <coughs> and I am here to learn about corporate prayer from the perspective 
banking on from Paris, and uh, we wanted to do revival in France, and the history of revival involves people praying. Mm. Um, and I love just the title of like corporate praying, you know, not just mm. in separate pra mm. prayers, pray prayers mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but being a body praying together. Mm. Wow, brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. It's great to have you all. It's exciting to be together, isn't it? Um, Chris, would you pray for us as we start? Mm. I mean, I, I, I just, I'm just conscious that our Father is with us. Mm. And um, why don't you pray your best prayer and we'll, we'll get to it. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a privilege we can be with you and mm. spend this time with you. Mm. What a wonderful privilege prayer is. Mm. And whether we've been Christian for a little while or a long while, we believe you've got more for us. Mm. And we believe there is such power in Christians coming together mm. and praying together. And yeah, Lord, we want to learn. And so we thank you for Daniel. Thank you mm. for the story you've done in, in his life mm. and in the church that he's a part of. But Lord, we're here for you, mm. all of us. And we pray, come on, fill us with your spirit. Come and speak to us. Come and put seeds in our hearts that are going to bear fruit mm. in our lives and in the churches that we're a part of. Mm. For your glory, Jesus, we want to be a people of prayer, mm. relational mission, new ground, your, your body across new frontiers and, mm. and, and across the world. Come on, Every street, mm. raise us up as a people of prayer. Mm. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Great. Well, what we're going to do first is I'm going to get you guys to do some work. In England, if you're trying to choose football teams and you've got a crowd, you just go through the crowd going one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. And then all the ones go in one team and all the twos go in in the second team. So I'm going to say to you, I'm going to give you a number, okay? And you have to remember the number. Okay, Paul? One, <coughs> two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay? So. Whatever number I gave you, if you could look up the passage, and if you don't have a Bible or a smartphone, then just cuddle up to the person next to you and appropriate their number. And just let's spend five minutes, just read that passage, whichever passage you've been given, and in a moment we'll just write down a whole lot of bullet points. One of you will volunteer to write, write something down because I can't spell even English, which is my first language. So one, one of you, maybe Sonia, will come and write it, write it on the whiteboard, okay? What can be learned about prayer from these passages? And if it's something like your Romans passage, we do not know how to pray as we ought, then just say, we don't know how to pray as we ought. You don't need to be clever, you don't need to be sophisticated. Got it?
Okay, Sonia, would you mind coming up and being our scribe? Do you mind doing that? Otherwise, I just won't be able to not humiliate myself. I know not everyone's confident speaking in public, so I'm not going to put anyone on the spot, but just shout out um, observations from your passage, what we can learn about prayer. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What was your passage? What did just Ephesians 2. Okay. Um always giving thanks to God above everything in the name of Jesus Christ. Just like a general sort of Just go for it. Yeah, blitz it. I'm sure I could just about manage Thanksgiving, but someone's gonna say intercession and then I'll be lost. <laughs> I have a passage in Acts 12, um, and there are three things I picked up on it. Uh, the first one is that many people had gathered together to pray, mm -hmm. and they were doing it in um, Mary's house. So there are two quite cool things. First of all, lots of people were together, uh, and they were doing it on phone. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing was that. Um, prepared for God to interrupt somehow to speak through someone because mm -hmm. Peter knocked on the door, gave a short message and went off. <laughs> so Brilliant. Be prepared for God to turn up in different forms. Yeah. That can be absolutely. What else? Um, Mark 14, very obvious, starts with Jesus prayed. Yeah, Jesus prayed. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Um, sorry, I didn't hear that. Jesus prays. He sort of sets an example for us. Is that the one where the building shakes or the room shakes? Yeah. Hmm. But others. Okay, we could go on and on, but I find it it's just critically essential that we get our model from the Bible and that we are as observant as possible. Thanks, Sonia, you can have a seat. Um, something like this, we're, the fact that we don't know how to pray, I find stuff like that super encouraging. The Bible says that we prophesy in part. I find that super encouraging. This prophetic word that's coming to me is not perfect revelation, it's in part. And when we pray, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but 
the Spirit helps us. I find that really, really encouraging because A, it acknowledges that we are trying to work out what to pray for and B, it acknowledges that, that God helps us. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to tell you a tiny little about, a bit about me so that you know who you're listening to. Um, then what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of just, rather than talking about what does a perfect prayer meeting look like, I'm, I'm going to kind of resist doing that. Rather, I'm going to open some doors on some different ways of thinking about praying. And then at the end, we can just Q&A. And there are so many mature people in this room that I don't expect to answer those questions necessarily. I'm happy to. But there are other people who could chip in and say, well, this is how we've, we've coped with that. Does that make sense? So I was born in West Africa because my parents were missionaries. So I'm ethnically English, but culturally, I'm, I've spent the first 12 years of my life in West Africa in a honor-shame culture, in a more Eastern than Western culture. So I came back to the UK, and as a missionary kid, lots of my contemporaries resisted the transition back into Western culture. And I was conscious that that was a possibility. So I was quite uh, anxious about coming to the UK. I didn't feel English. And uh, so I, I prayed, when I was still in Africa, I prayed to God that he would help me to love England and he would meet with me. And that night, I had a dream where Jesus came and took me to England and showed me England. And from that moment, I have had a heart for England. So although I've got the nations in my heart, I feel my primary calling is to England, which to me is a foreign country. And uh, one of the other bits of baggage I guess I picked up from my upbringing was that on the mission field at that time, people who went to church in the West were basically losers and missionaries were proper Christians. So if you really believed the Bible, you became a missionary. And if you were kind of a bit half-baked, you went to church. And my parents never sat me down and told me that but I picked it up. Missionaries are doing the stuff, the church, the church is for losers. And I had that, I guess, coming back to, to the West. And through the local church and through Terry Virgo's ministry, God powerfully changed my heart. There was one talk where, he, uh, where Terry just took, took us through what the Bible says about the church, what it says about it being Christ bride, how Paul is persecuting the church and Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus and says, why are you persecuting me? He talks about Christ as the head of the church, which is his body. And so I, I also, apart from loving England, I also love the church. And both of those, for me, are a big change of heart. And you might think I was a very, very intense 12-year-old to be having these battles. Maybe I was, but we can only be who we are, can't we? So um, then I uh, 
graduated from university and I said to God, I want to do with my life whatever you want me to do. And I put aside a day to pray and I felt God called me to plant a church in Cambridge. So I went to Cambridge, which was, uh, there was already a church planted there and they were thinking of planting a new church into a different part of the city. So I became part of that new plant. And then God had completely different plans. And the main church lost all of its leaders to a church plant in Oxford. And this is when you all say, boo! So we went to Oxford. And uh, the church planting team came back into the main church to lead the main church. Does that make sense? So we were trying to plant this church. And actually, God said, no, I want, I want this church to be planted. And I'm going to take the 50 most senior people in your church and do it. And then this little bunch of very immature young leaders is going to come in and lead the main church. Um, and so that's what we did. And now I'm part of the eldership team that leads that church. So I have never planted a church. What am I doing speaking at a church planting conference? I don't know. But um, God's been very, very gracious to me. So that's who I am. And obviously along the way, I've tried to learn to pray and I've tried to teach my church to pray. But I feel like I'm a long way from having that sorted. Um, so I just want to, I just want to like, be open and honest with humility and say, in some ways, I'm a successful prayer. And in other ways, I feel like a complete novice. And, and that's why I'm grateful that <laughs> Romans tells us we don't know what to pray for. We don't know always how to pray. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was tearing his hair out because his disciples were falling asleep. You know, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. And every time people don't turn up to a prayer meeting, I think, ah, Jesus has felt like this as well. So, um, I had a, an interesting um, holiday a few years ago. My wife's brother was getting married in Sweden, and we had no funds. So we had to go to Sweden to attend. We had to go because it was her brother's wedding. We didn't have much money. So we had a, a newborn baby and a three-year-old. And um, what happened was we went to the airport really early in the morning, and we missed our flight. And so all that money was just gone. The next flight that's leaving the airport is about 12 hours later in the evening. And we get ushered back to sort of from the airport side to the, to the other side, back through security, where there isn't really anywhere to sit down or to rest. And we've got 12 hours with a newborn and a two-year-old. And we've just got to have fork out another 700 pounds or something to, to get these tickets, because we have to go. It's his, it's his wedding. So we spend the whole day in the airport. We get to Sweden, and her brother has arranged for what he's called a crash pad, a flat, an apartment that we can stay in, in his block. It transpires that this is a tiny, tiny room, about as big as this, with a bunk bed and no, no kitchen facilities, no bathroom. There's a communal bathroom like three blocks across the square. We arrive at like two o'clock in the morning. 
My wife with a nursing child sleeps on the top bunk. The child goes into a cot that they've arranged for us, and I, sh I sleep down, down in the bottom bit with my little son. All the way through the night, my wife's having to get down from the top bunk to breastfeed the baby. And then because it's Scandinavia, there's sunlight coming through the window. Even though the window's only that big, there's sunlight coming through the window. So I lean on the, the travel cot to try and shut the window and break the travel cot, which means that it can't, it can't be used. Once it's broken, the bottom sags and the child can't successfully sleep in it. So we had to like shove clothes and stuff underneath to try and, and, and this wasn't even our travel cot. So I wake up in the morning and Anna's asleep and you know, toddlers wake up early. So I take my little toddler, we leave the flat so that she can get some sleep. And we're kind of standing in the corridor in this basement of a concrete tower block thinking, what am I gonna do for the next three hours while I try to let her get some sleep? So we go to the local supermarket, which isn't even open yet. Sit outside the supermarket with my little boy, trying to keep him positive. And this is like, this is our whole two week trip. And then in between that, we have to go to the place where the wedding is actually being held, which is a train trip away. We get onto the, the carriage and it turns out in Sweden, there are certain carriages where you can't have children. So we're in that carriage and they say, you have to leave. But our buggy won't fit through the door. So we, but we have to leave. So we have to leave our buggy in one carriage and then go down to the kids' carriage, which is rammed and there aren't any seats. So there's an empty train with a full carriage. My wife has to stay at one end with the... It just goes from bad to worse. During this trip, my granddad dies and uh, one, of, one of the kids gets chicken pox. One of your kids. Yep. When we come back from the wedding, back to the crash pad, we had left the communal key in the slot where we were told to do it, and it had gone missing. So the maintenance guy said we were liable for thousands and thousands of pounds because every single apartment lock had to be changed because we'd lost the keys. So, um, <laughs> and we, we, we had done what we'd been told to do. So we were feeling the injustice of it all. And it, anyway, it turns out that someone had seen the key, thought that's not in the right place, put it in their pocket, they kept it safe. It was all fine, it all worked out. When we were trying to fly back to the UK, the flight was delayed, but it wasn't, it was delayed at the last minute. So they had us all queuing in a room like this, but a whole plane full of people. So you're snaked in and out. There's no window, there's nowhere to sit down. And we were in there for three hours with a newborn baby. And uh, when we got home, we'd had some building work done on our house. The builders had locked our cat in our bedroom and she had tried to get out she had shredded every piece of, like, the, the duvet, the curtains, there was blood, there was urine all over our bedroom. It's like four o'clock in the morning. I can remember saying to my little boy a few days later, you know, how, how did you find your time in Sweden? He said, oh, I absolutely loved it, Dad. We slept in the same bed. We got up together. We went to the supermarket together. We talked the whole time. We, on the train, you were with us. And um, he was oblivious to all of the stress and all of the expectations. Wow. 
and he was just, we were together. Mm. I had a little watch with a light on it and I used to put it on the bottom of the bunk bed and we'd press the light to see what time it was and have a look at these talks. And he just was captivated by the fact that he'd spent all that time with his dad. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> and I think, you know, we should have that attitude with God, just to be with him. God is carrying the stress. God is carrying the challenges. And we are the little child who just gets to be with him. It's not like, I don't, I don't know where we're going, but I know who I'm with. Do you know what I mean? And so I think we need to have less of a goals-driven attitude to prayer, less of an outcome attitude to prayer, and more of a relational attitude to prayer, and to, to be with God. You know, I always tell my boys that God's name is Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know why I'm so emotional. But it is such a privilege to have a father. Jesus teaches us how to pray, our father. So I don't want to overcomplicate things, but I think we need to understand that prayer is communication. It's a relationship. It's not a means to an end. It's, it's far, far, far more important than that. I think um, one of the other temptations that we have is to put things in a silo in Christian life. You know, a silo is like a, you know, it's like a big kind of place where they store grain. Everyone know what a silo is? And it keeps the grain separate from everything else. And I think in church life, in Christian life, we do this with all sorts of things. We put Christian life into silos and it makes everything really busy. So let's say this is your week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, morning, afternoon, evening. I'm a father, right? So I want my kids, let's say I want my kids to go to the youth work and the youth works on Friday night. So they go out on Friday night to be with their peers, but we also go to church, which is this meeting on Sunday. But um, we also want to do evangelism, so I sign up to Alpha, that's on a Wednesday night. But I want to do some hospitality as well with people in the church, so that's like Tuesday night. And I uh, want to disciple some people in our church as well, so I do that on a Thursday night. And suddenly, the whole week is compartmentalized and because it's compartmentalized, it's really busy. So if you imagine a, a white loaf of bread, what they do in the white loaf of bread is they take all of the, the wheat germ out of the grain, they take the nutrition out of the grain, and they have to put stuff back in artificially. So it says white bread with added vitamins, whereas like if you just left it alone, it would have had those vitamins in it. But we do that with church life. Okay, so here I've got hospitality 
and I've got evangelism, and I want to do some discipleship, and I've got three nights to do it. But wouldn't it be much better if I did hospitality? Guys, come to my house. And one of the families that comes to my house is non-Christian. So now I'm doing hospitality and evangelism. Yeah? Does that make sense? But I've also invited some Christian leaders from the church to come to see how I do evangelism through hospitality. So now I'm also doing discipleship. Okay? Now, these things are much more natural and they're happening simultaneously and I've got two evenings back. Does that make sense? And we do it with prayer. We do it with prayer. We think of prayer as this other thing that happens when we're all in a room at a certain time doing a specific thing, that's prayer. That's okay, but the implication of that is that actually that's the totality of prayer, and that's not right. So let me tell you about some ways where um, I've been feeling positive benefits of doing prayer outside of prayer meetings. So I think when you pray for something, you own it. And I, and I, I found this has really benefited the pastoral life of the church. So we have a, and this is a specific uh, story. We have the need for a bass player. Okay, now you might not feel that is particularly important, but it was important to me at the time that I was praying, praying, praying for a bass player. And uh, one Sunday, one of this guy walks in, brand new, and I say, hi, you know, I'm, I'm Daniel, are you need to stretch? Yeah, I'm new in my first week. And I said, you don't play bass, do you? And he said, yeah, I do play bass. Brilliant. I've been praying for a bass player. A bass player has just walked through the door. I'm delighted. It's encouraged me. Now, a couple of weeks later, or a couple of, probably a couple of years later with this case, this guy gets into some tricky situations in the church, and other people are sort of saying, he's let us down, we should cut him loose, um, he's, he's disgraced himself. But I'm thinking, what? That guy is an answer to prayer. I prayed him in. There's no way I'm letting you forget him. There's no way I'm letting you turn your back on him. I'm going to fight for him because I prayed for him. Does that make sense? And, and we need to do that with the church. We need the church to pray and own what we need. And I think too often, as leaders, what we want to do is we want to present the solution. The temptation is to to pull the sheet off and say, here's the perfect budget, or here's, here's where we're going to get all this year's money from, or here's some 10,000 people that are going to get baptized, when actually what we need to say is, guys, we need to pray together until this happens, so that we own the answer. Does that make sense? <coughs> Another time, this is... I'm just trying to illuminate sort of the impact of not putting prayer in a silo, but having prayer in the atmosphere all the time and it affecting various parts of life. So that was how it affected pastoral life. 
Here's a story about how it affected my personal maturity. We were going for a big gift day because we needed to do a new building. And I am conscious that I'm having to pay a mortgage and I can barely pay that mortgage at the end of the month. I'm not sort of sitting on hundreds and hundreds of pounds that I can put into a bank. And I feel like if I'm in this situation, the whole church is in this situation. I, I say to the church, I think we can raise 25,000 pounds. Basically, I've done that because I've calculated what I think we've got available to give. Now, this couple in the church who are much older than me take me aside and basically tear me to shreds in the grace of God. You know, the Bible tells us to admonish one another. So this couple sit down with me and they say, Daniel, you're going to have to try again. We were going to give more than that sum ourselves. Now you've asked the whole church to give that. And if we were to give that, we, would, we personally would be decreasing our gift. And we know that the building is going to cost about £250,000. So what are you talking about £25,000 for? So I told them all of my thinking. And they, like Priscilla and Aquila, they kind of told me more accurately the way of God. And we're like, this is not how you should be leading us. They prayed into this stronghold of finance for me. I come from a mission family where if you went to sleep with a coin in your pocket, that was a missed opportunity to be generous. So no savings, no insurance, no pension ever in my family. All of those were completely ludicrous luxuries. Why would you ever spend money on that when you could give money away? A beggar came to a door, my dad gave his wedding ring away. The next beggar came to the door, he gave my mum's wedding ring away. Okay, that's what I've grown up with. So they were like, there's another way to think about money. And as a result of that, I stood before the church and I told them that story. I've been praying and I came to this, but they've been praying and they came to that. We talked about it together. They've shaped me. I've realized we can do better together. Let's pray for more. I just want to be honest. I don't think it's possible, but I think God can do anything. They gave £125,000 the next wow. week. Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? I had been praying. God had heard my prayers. I'd kind of come to the church at the point where I thought this is the conclusion. But it wasn't, because other people had been praying. And when they heard what I had to say, they said, no, we're going to shape what you are bringing. We've been praying about it. We've been praying for you. We feel we can disciple you through this. Does that make sense? And that doesn't happen in a prayer meeting. But it does happen when people are together praying for the same things. Now, I'm not at all trying to diminish the prayer meeting. All, all I'm saying is it's not sufficient. It's not unnecessary. It's just not sufficient. Another time, I'd really felt called to Cambridge, but then after a few years, I was finding it really difficult to be in Cambridge, and I wanted to leave. And uh, it so happened that the week I said to my boss, the, the guy that was leading the church, I was working full-time for the church, but someone else was leading it. I said to him, listen, I really think it's time for me to move on. And so he said, well, okay, you're going to need to decide and let me know, because that's obviously going to have an impact on the church. Can you take a week and then tell me what you think? And uh, 
in that week, without telegraphing it to anyone, we, we got five different job opportunities from different churches. Can you imagine that? Mm. Never happened since, never happened before, five in a week. And Anna and I, my wife, we were praying, and we just didn't feel peace about any of these. We desperately wanted to leave, but we didn't feel peace about any of these. And we were praying, we were praying. And at the end of that week, we just thought, what we need to do is we need to go back to the last thing that God said to us. Because he hasn't said anything this week. There are some opportunities, but God hasn't spoken. The last thing God said to us was, go to Cambridge. So through gritted teeth, we went back to our, our boss and said, we're staying in Cambridge. The next day, went to New Frontiers Prayer and Fasting. I, was, I had a black cloud over my head, yeah, because this is not the outcome I wanted. Two different people came up to me as we were all praying and said, God's just spoken to me and said, although I don't know you, I think you need to be in Cambridge. I was like, this is, you know, remember, there were hundreds of people in those meetings, weren't there? Six, seven hundred people in those meetings. I don't know you, I hope you don't mind me saying, but God's told me you need to be in Cambridge. And then half an hour later, someone else comes up to me and says the same thing. And so we're all praying to the same God. And in that instance, we were actually praying about something else. But I have learned to go back to the last thing God said, to trust my walk with God. I've learned that God comforts us and confirms things to us through other people who are praying. Yeah. Does that make sense? So we were never, these people in that story, were never in the same room at the same time in a meeting, and yet our prayer lives served the same purpose in our stories and mean the world to me. You know, they, they are things I will never let go of. So when things get hard in Cambridge, I know God called me here and I know he confirmed it. And I was praying, I was wide open. Other people were praying. A friend of mine, he uh, travels to Los Angeles for work. So he goes from Cambridge to Los Angeles. There's a lot of toing and froing because of uh, high tech. And um, so he does microchips, flies over to Los Angeles regularly. And what he finds is you leave the UK, you fly right across to the west coast of the United States. And when you get there, you have a choice. <coughs> Are you going to pretend that you're still on UK time and be out of step with everything in Los Angeles? Or are you going to adjust to the new reality on the ground? And in Christ, we have gone from being dead, to being lost, to being alive, and to having a father who is the one who works. Now, we can sow, but God makes it grow. And I think, as Christians, a lot of people come into the church and they, they never adjust to the new reality. So they are still back here working their socks off, because working your socks off is how, how you make things work in life. Whereas in the church, you adjust to the new reality, which is that you can't do anything unless you abide with Christ. 
he is the one who works. So to give yourself to the purposes of God without prayer is to still be living in the old reality. Isn't it? But to try and take your church through the process of saying, it was like that, that we were dead, we were futile, but now we're in Christ and we can do nothing except if we abide in him. But if we ask him, he is faithful and he acts. We need to keep encouraging one another about this new reality that we're in. A few, about a year ago now, Anna and I, my wife, were trying to buy a new house. And so we had maxed ourselves out to the nth degree to buy this new house. We had to have it because we had a family. And um, about three days before we had to sign contracts, I realized that we were going to be 10,000 pounds short. And we were already overextended. So now there's clear blue sky opening between what we have and what we need. The system in England is absolutely crazy. Never move to England. You don't know, you don't know how you're going to sell your house. You don't know. Unless God calls you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do have a heart for England, but not for the economic process. You don't know how much you're going to get for your house, so you don't even know how much money you're working with, etc., etc. So, and I, I'm conscious that I lead a church, I have a big influence on the people in the church, and they really love me, you know, by and large. <laughs> and so I have to be careful not to be manipulative. That makes sense, doesn't it? I could really do with a new car, you know, someone's going to buy me a new car because they're generous and they, they love me and so I can't do that. So I do a calculation in my head. Who's the most godly person I know with who doesn't have any money, okay? So I think of a name, they're really, really godly, they've got no money. So they can pray, but they can't help. Does that make sense? Yeah. Send them a text. Send them a text saying, we've, please, please, will you pray for us now because we realize we need more money than we've got. They get that text message in a prayer meeting in another country where they're praying for a new house for someone else. They text back, how much do you need? So I was like, I didn't really want to do, go to that extent, but they've specifically asked me. I know they don't have any money. They don't own their own house. They don't own their own car, blah, blah, blah. So I say, we need... 10,000 pounds. They're in this prayer meeting. They get this text, 10,000 pounds. They send a text back. We will give that to you, and it will be in your account by the end of the day. Wow. So <laughs> when they get back to England, I say to them, how was that possible? Because I genuinely only chose you to stand with me in prayer because I know you don't have any money. And they said, about two years ago, someone gave us 10,000 pounds. And we get, when we took it, God said to us, that isn't for you. Put it in a bank account, and then someone will ask you for that 10,000 pounds and you have to give it to them. Wow. <laughs> isn't that amazing? And so they are in this prayer meeting, praying for a house. Someone else needs a house, contacts them, they don't just pray, they act. 
they are the answer to our prayers. And that was because someone else was the answer to a different prayer to give them the 10,000 pounds in the first place. And they discerned, although they needed that money, it wasn't for them. And they sat on it in faith and didn't spend it until we reached out to them. And so this non-prayer meeting web of prayer is strengthening my faith, my wife's faith, my boy's faith, their faith, the people who gave the money, their faith, the people in the prayer meeting, they're, they're in another country praying for a house. And this person says, look, this has just come in and we've answered their prayer and God will answer our prayer. Can you imagine? Isn't that just amazing? We, we need to resist <coughs> siloing prayer as a specific thing at a specific time in a specific way and it's got nothing to do with anything else. Yes, you know, basically we need to pray always and we need to pray sometimes. Jesus was continuously in prayer but he also put a time aside times to pray and I think we need to be doing both of those. We need to be trying to not have white bread church life but have the fullness of a natural Christian experience where we're constantly hospitable, we're constantly discipling, we're constantly in faith, we're constantly in prayer. And that means sometimes, yes, a prayer meeting, and sometimes, yes, Bible study. But it's not as if the Bible's got nothing to do with the rest of your life except for inner study, is it? And actually, sometimes a Bible study can lead to disobedience because now you know the truth and you're not doing it. <laughs> it's like, whoa, be careful. The Bible says now that you know these things, you're blessed when you do them. So we must be trying to grow up. And I guess when I do come into a prayer meeting, I'm trying to do that as someone who's set an example of prayer, who's someone who knows that I have to pray. I have gone from London to Los Angeles. I'm in a new reality. I think the church can raise 25,000 pounds, but God has got other ideas. I think this person can't give me 10,000 pounds, but God has got other ideas because there's a new reality. Does that make sense? And you're tempted, aren't you, to go to bed a little bit early when you're in a different time zone, but you actually have to adjust to the new reality. You have to pay the price to be in this new place where you can't necessarily predict what God's going to do. You just have to cry out to him and walk with him. He is God with us. I think a couple of other things I just want to say, and then we'll just do some Q&A, and if, if we run out of Q&A, then we'll just go and have a, a siesta. <laughs> I was, um, everyone from City Church has heard this story time and time again, but I was in South Africa on a hike once, and it was a very long hike. It was nine days, and we had to carry everything. Otaniqua Trail. And um, about five days into this hike, we hadn't seen anyone for days there's a big party of us, about 25 people. In the middle of the wilderness in South Africa, we come across a man, and it's the first person we've seen for days. So obviously we talked to him. And he says, what route are you taking? Get out the map, we show him the route. And this guy that we've never met ever, in the middle of nowhere, says to us, if you're gonna take that route, you are going to need a gun. What do you do? What do you do? Do you say, you think we need a gun? 
but we don't think we need a gun. We're going to go anyway without a gun. Or do you think, if you think we need a gun, then we do need a gun, and we're going to go back, or we're going to get a gun? It turns out that one of the guys in our party kind of anticipated this and had bought a gun. <laughs> All right? No, it wasn't me. But the point is, when someone with, with greater knowledge and experience than you says to you, you will need this, you have a choice to trust them, to have faith, or to distrust them. When God says to us, you will need to pray, we can say, ah, you think we need to pray, but we don't think we need to pray. Or we can say, we trust you. We, by faith, believe that if you think we need it, then we need it. Does that make sense? So when I'm giving my kids vitamins, they don't want to eat their vitamins. They don't want to eat their veggies. And they think they know better than me. But I have heard you cannot dodge salad all your life. You have to eat these nutrients. Now, they, they have to do it because I tell them to do it. But when it comes to our walk with God, whether it's, and I use this analogy with apostolic ministry a lot, if God says, this is a gift that I'm giving to the church, apostles, then the church needs to say, do we believe that God is a good God who's got our best interests at heart, who's given us a good gift? And if we do, then we need to say, we might think that we don't need the apostolic gift, but God thinks that we do. And so we're going to trust him. Does that make sense? God, Jesus prayed continuously. Jesus taught us how to pray. Jesus implores us to pray. Paul implores us to pray. And so when Jesus tells us to pray, we've got to decide, are we going to trust him or aren't we? Are we going to have faith or aren't we? So I come to prayer meetings and to prayer as an act of faith. Does that make sense? Sometimes I don't feel the need, but I know the need, and I act in faith to lead the church into what I think God's given us, and therefore will be good for us. And he's a sovereign God. He is a sovereign God. One of the lovely um, illustrations I have heard about the sovereignty of God was from a friend, Matt Hatch, who leads the church in Leeds. And uh, I don't know if you find this image helpful, but he says he thinks of the sovereignty of God as a father who has got a child who's learning to walk. And so the, the father puts his hands out and the child grabs hold of the hands and just about begins to walk. Now, which one of them is making that happen? Both of them. It's all of the child. If the father put his hands out and the child didn't make any effort, then it wouldn't happen. 
But if, no matter how much effort the child made, if the father wasn't there to hold them, it wouldn't happen. The sovereignty of God is a partnership between us and God. And it's impossible without God acting. And it's impossible without us acting with him. And so I sort of think it's really important for us to know that grace is as opposed to earning. Grace is not as opposed to effort. So yes, we're saved by grace. Therefore, we make an effort. Paul says, I work harder than anyone, but it's not me, it's the grace of God that's in me. So to work hard is not to dismiss grace. To work hard is to understand that we're working hard because of the grace that God's given us. But we're not working hard to earn. So I am an absolutely died in the wall, completely convinced sovereignty of God person. Yet, I know I have to pray. And that's an invitation to partnership. Whether when I'm praying, there is a father who is doing the work to make that possible. And um, I think there are difficulties that people face when it comes to prayer. And I think it's just really, really important to specify what those difficulties are and address them. So if, if the difficulty is I'm too busy, then unless you address that, they will go through their life thinking that they're too busy to pray. And really you need to say to them, it's not a case of how busy you are, it's a case of what's important. You'll always be too busy unless the thing is important, in which case you'll make it a priority. You need to make a decision, you need to be persuaded. I don't want to pray because I believe in the sovereignty of God. That doesn't follow. Let me sit down and help you with that specific thing. So try to, if there's an apathy around prayer, try to discover exactly where that's coming from. If it's because they're living in Los Angeles, but they think they're living in London and they don't really need to pray, you need to help them. Does that make sense? Because there, there might be a reticence to pray, but we can address those issues. Okay, I have spoken for long enough. I wondered if anyone's got any reflections on any of that or any questions or whether you came in with a question about how to run a prayer meeting and feel like it's been ignored because I'm sure enough of us have run prayer meetings to know how we could advise you on stuff like that. Why don't we start with just reflecting on one thing that stood out to you from this session we've done, whether it's stuff that we wrote on the board earlier from the Bible or whether it's something I've said. Just, I'm not going to pick on anyone, but if we had three or four people, just reflect out loud one thing that they think they've, that they've particularly noticed, particularly stood out to them. I won't pick on anyone apart from Chris, you'll get the ball rolling for us. Okay. <laughs> I think your stories have stood out because they have um, illustrated Mm. I, I came in and I was thinking more prayer meetings, mm. but actually thinking if we raise up disciples because prayer is just part of what we do, mm. actually prayer meetings are almost a fruit from, yeah. from it. So I, find, I just find your the, the stories really helpful. Well, I'm really glad that you made that connection. I think if there is an, amb an ambient yeah. 
prayer life that's high, then the, the, the prayer meetings will benefit from that. They will naturally benefit from that because you've got people who are used to praying and understand why prayer is necessary and have benefited from praying. Any others? I think for me personally, Alpha, the Alpha course has been a great example of that. Because what, what I'm doing on the Alpha course is I'm praying desperately for these people that have come to my table. I write their names down and I pray for them daily when I'm doing the Alpha course. So I'm invested in them and I know that God has to work in their hearts. But at the same time, as praying and evangelizing, there are younger Christians coming alongside me to help me run that table who are being discipled. They're both learning how to evangelize and they're still learning the basics of the faith. So you're, you've got, I know Alpha is an off-the-shelf course and I'm trying to say let's try and be more natural, but it's a good off-the-shelf course because if you do it right, you do get these things happening simultaneously. Acts 4, was it? Yeah. Which is an absolutely brilliant... Um, it's a great prayer time. Um, on their release, Peter and John went back to their people and reported... And this is interesting, because later on, obviously, Peter gets released again. But that time, James dies. Um, so... Uh, but on this occasion, Peter and John both get released. But back to their people reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Sovereign Lord, 
You know what we're saying about a sovereign God? Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They're looking back. This is what God's done for us. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through your mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they quote the psalm, why do our nation, the nations rage? So they know the word of God. They are praying the word of God back to God. Uh, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. You following that? They know that Jesus was killed according to the purpose of God. God brought Pontius Pilate and those uh, authorities into that place to make that happen. Now the Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word. They've been told not to, not to go on speaking. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders throughout the name of the Holy Servant Jesus after they prayed the place where they were meeting was shaken. A few, uh, few uh, weeks ago, I came downstairs in our house to find my eight-year-old, well, my seven-year-old sitting next to my five-year-old with the family photo album open on their laps. And the older one was saying, and this is when we did this, turn the page, and this is when we did that, and this is what happened. And so that, what they're doing there is they're looking back in our family history and they're telling the story again. And that's what we do when we come to the Word of God. We discover what God has done. We're not architects who get to imagine what God has done. We're archaeologists who discover what God has done. And that's what the boys were doing. They were looking back, saying, this is what God has done. But another time, more recently, my little son was coming up to his birthday, his sixth birthday. And he was so excited, so beside himself with excitement. And he said to me on a Sunday morning, can you, can you read that book to me, Dad? And I said, oh, you know, what book is that? that? That book I've been reading. And I said, what book have you been reading? You know, reading, he's only five. It's got Peppa Pig in it. Oh, right, Peppa Pig. It's a Peppa Pig book and Transformers. It's got Peppa Pig and Transformers. What is this book? And it turns out that this book is the Argos catalogue, which is a toy shop, okay? It's a toy shop, and he is looking, he's looking forward to his birthday. He's got a toy catalogue, and his mum has told him, you can have anything you want from, from this page. And so for a week, he's been poring over the Argos catalogue. And he, you know, one moment they're looking at the photo album, they're looking back to what we've done as a family. This is him looking at the book, looking forward to what he knows will be his. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's what we have in the word, isn't it? We have, as they, they've done, they've sort of looked back. God, you made the heavens and the earth. You did this. And it was you, your hand at work, when Jesus Christ died. This is part of your purpose. And so we're asking you in the future to <laughs> embolden us to preach the word of God because we know beyond that there's a greater prize. You know, they, that prayer meeting is absolutely saturated with theology. It's saturated with the knowledge of scripture. And they're doing it together in prayer. And it's just a natural response to the situation. Right, we should probably finish there. Well, we've got 
we've got five minutes, so I'm happy to finish there. But if, if anyone has any specific questions, I've got, I've got tips on how to run prayer meetings, if anyone wants any tips on how to run prayer meetings. But I really didn't want, you know, you guys are church planting heroes. You've probably got bags and bags of experience and knowledge about running prayer meetings. So I didn't want to, to focus on that. Should we end there, or are there any... Yeah. And I want it to, you know, when, when I do sort of get, get the whole concept sorted in my head, I want it to be a specific part of culture. Do you mind speaking to that? Because I, I think you guys have got much more experience. Um, so we have a, um, we have got a building about three years ago. And um, we had a couple of the ladies from the church, the pastor's wife and another lady who was here, um, wanted to turn one of the smaller rooms upstairs into a prayer room. Yeah, yeah, it's great.
Great. I'm tempted not to say this, but I feel like I need to. I know this wasn't an exposition of a Bible passage. This, this wasn't really attempting to try and be a sermon. Because it's a seminar, I want to try and be a bit more conceptual and practical and personal. So um, I'm conscious that I haven't expanded the Bible at length, but that would obviously be very, very important for you to, to grow in your prayer. But I hope just beginning to open a few doors in different ways of thinking about might have been helpful. It's been great to be together. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you.